Winner, winner, chicken dinner. So cool that our podcast received a second place from the National Federation of Press Women this past weekend. Yes, now we are that award-winning podcast, The Garden Angelus. And Carol won a first place in the personal blog category. I did for a post that I wrote about my garden admiring service. Remind me again which podcast episode you submitted? It was from last July, and it was one that we called We Almost Became a Math Podcast. Kidding. I actually love that podcast. Congratulations to both of us. Congratulations. Now it's time for Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's about a third of an acre. And I'm Dee Nash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on so many acres out in the country. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want others to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Good morning, Carol. We are recording... On Monday, beforehand, like we almost always do, and it is nice and cool in both our states. Well, it's 77 here, so that is cool for summer, but it's cooler in your neck of the woods. It's 73 as we record. Yay! So what's going on in your garden? Goodness gracious, oh me, oh my, an All Points Bulletin has been issued for my missing rainfall, D. Where is the rain? You might have to water. (laughs) You know what? You you laugh, but the I saw where a weatherman said that this was the tenth, no, the driest summer so far in ten years. And ten years ago it was a big drought. So I have been watering. I have. That's been, when I visited. Was the year of the big drought? Well, you visited well, the year before. Big in drought the that year, year too. Okay, keep going. So I pulled out the pea vines this morning. They were spent. And I've sowed some more green bean seeds because my green beans sort of came up poorly. And I don't know if it was the seed. So I went and bought some new seeds. And I don't want this to become the bad green bean year or BGBY <laughs> be like a couple of years ago. So. No, that was last year. We had a No, last year green- was good. Two years ago was bad. Oh, no, it was the year before. Okay, see, they all start to blur together for me now. I'm getting old. No, I'm teasing. Okay, so I haven't planted any yet. I'm thinking about it, maybe. What, 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 what? Green beans. I haven't planted any green beans. Why not? Did you fall on your head or? I don't have anywhere to put them because I have put sunflowers in the center of my lavender. Anyway, keep going. Anything else? Nope, that's that's about it. I did buy new seeds from a new source, and I planted a big, long row of those. I really kind of think that it's dumb Carol forgot how dry it was and didn't water the seeds after she sowed them. <laughs> I really do think that's probably why I had poor germination. So Yeah, it could be it. Yeah. So in your neck of the woods. Well, I'm just trying to keep everything watered, just like you, because but that's normal for here. You know, in the Mm -hmm. summer, we don't get much water. That's why everything's on drip, except for my pelargoniums. They are not on drip. And the shrubs, which I did not plant in the spring like I should have, they're on drip. They're not on drip. 
I could put them on drip, but I, well, I just am not going to. It's a long story and I don't want to explain it. Um, also in the mornings, uh, we had a cold front come through, which is why it's nice here, but it's not going to be nice for long. And last week was really, really hot. So I go out in the mornings and I try to just enjoy my garden. And I'm deadheading daylilies, cutting back spent scapes to save myself some trouble. And I've also been cutting other things back as I go. And I'm kind of using it as a meditation of sorts. Very nice. You know, just out there kind of thinking about things and just staying um, in the moment, which is something they tell all of us to do. Another thing that will keep you in the moment is dealing with one's beehives. And so I I finally had time to get back in there when it wasn't 100 degrees yesterday. And um, I'm down to three hives because I split up the hive, the colony, that had was laying worker. I tried three ways to save it, couldn't save it, so I split it up. And that's a long huh. story. Anyway, I, I worked with them, and I really enjoyed it. Um, nothing will keep you in the moment than a bunch of angry, stinging insects. Who that is true. That is true. <laughs> Hopefully you were all suited up in your bee suit so that they didn't actually get any blood. That's good. That's I good. was, but sometimes you still get stung. But no, yesterday I did not get stung. And here's the good news. I'm going to have honey this year. Yay! I've got three supers on the big colony. Um, they won't fill all three, but one is full. I may pull it off. This weekend I may pull off some of that and um, go ahead and harvest some of it. And then... Uh, my carnelian hive, they're also the carnelian colony. Well, I can't say that word. Carnelian colony, which I started as a nuke last year, they're producing honey too. So there that you go. Is, that is most excellent. What a sweet story. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> I'm going to do the quote now. If you love a flower that lives on a star, it is sweet to look at the sky at night. All the stars are abloom with flowers. And that is Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, who wrote The Little Prince. I think I messed up his last name, even though I wrote how to pronounce it. Ex it's okay. Close enough. Everybody Ex knows. Exupéry, I think. Um, but he um, he's the one that wrote The Little Prince, which everybody is a beloved children's book. And there's a reason I picked that quote for us today. Mm -hmm. We are talking about pintas. Also known as Egyptian star flowers. Right. And so they come in purple, pink, white, red, and a couple of varieties have variegated leaves. And they are pintas lanceolata. And I looked up if I could have a moment of botanical privilege, as they say. Of Did course. Did they say that? I, say, I think so. <laughs> They're in the Rubiaceae family, which I was not familiar with. But it is the fourth largest plant family, according to Wikipedia. Who knew? And the other, the most famous member of this family is not pentas, but <laughs> coffee. Well, I do love me some good coffee beans. So I love beans of all kinds, and coffee beans are one of them. So that's interesting. But why are we talking about pentas, Carol? Because um, earlier this spring, you mentioned them, and I said I had never tried them. And you said... I should get some. And so I wrote a whole blog post. The Garden Fairies wrote a blog post, which I will link to. That explains how after 63 years, probably, you know, 60 of them gardening, I suddenly grew pentas for the first time. And they are wonderful. 
And I really, really like them. And I thought, gosh, it only took me like 60 years to figure this out. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, I suggest them a lot of times if somebody wants something in the front of the border that blooms all summer long, even faster if you deadhead it, but it also self-deadheads. Um, so someplace that you would normally put periwinkles, say, a hot place that needs some color. But here's the difference. Periwinkles do not attract butterflies. Pintas do. And I, I'm not about, I mean, I love a good periwinkle. Don't get me wrong. I, I think they're beautiful in summer and if you have a full sunspot. But at this point in my life, I'm putting something there that is going to attract butterflies, bees, and hoverflies and other creatures. Yes, I have mine in two containers. They, um, I had to pull out some angelonias that were the wrong color because I went monochromatic this year on these containers. And this is what they had at the greenhouse. And I probably fell into the trap that many gardeners fall into. It's like they're never really blooming at the greenhouse when you buy them. You buy them as a green plant, at least in my greenhouse. Okay, that's and in so, your world. Here they're blooming. Yeah, in my world. They're yeah, here blooming. they're blooming. But but the thing is, I don't think they look good in a four-inch pot. I think they not look, many plants do, D. Well, not many do, but I think ones that people are familiar with, like impatiens or begonias, people know what they're going to do, right? Um, yes. It's hard to know what a penta is going to do, but you could plant, like if you had something die in your container right now, even in Oklahoma or Texas, you could stick a penta in there and it would be happy for the rest of summer. Yes. It's, we should mention it's a tropical plant. So right. it's. Hardy to zone 11, I found out. So if you live in zone 11, you can grow it year-round year as a perennial. The rest of us, it's a nice, it's a lovely annual. It's a lovely little short annual for the front of the border or the front of your pots or on the sides. And it is just cute. And also, it doesn't try to produce seed. So it's awesome because it just blooms and blooms and blooms. Now, this year, the only place I had to put them was in the front of my tomato pots. And they've been very effective there, too. They're really happy. And nice. They don't get a lot of water. Even though those are on drip irrigation, they're such big pots, and the tomatoes soak up almost all the water. So I might give them a shot with the hose as I'm walking by. So anything else you want to say about them? I would like to say that um, you brought up an excellent point that even though you're growing your tomatoes in smart pots, fabric mm -hmm. pots. Yes. You don't have to grow them solo. You can tuck in little flowers like pentas. Marigolds. Especially, yeah, especially because the bottom of the tomato plant tends to get a little bit ugly as the season goes on. So tucking flowers around the, the base of those is a pretty doggone good idea. I'm going to hand it to you. Well, thank good you. Idea. And you know what? I think I got that idea because I grow roses. And roses also get kind of naked from black spot. Tomatoes get naked from all the leaf spot diseases. And you need to cut those leaves off as we've talked about before. And so as you cut those off, they look leggy. And if you put something floral around the bottom, well, it's not so ugly. Exactly. Plus, it attracts pollinators, which anytime you attract pollinators to your garden, it's a good thing. It is a very good thing. So, D, do the next quote. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Benjamin Franklin. Here, he was speaking about fire safety, but it applies to vegetable gardening, too. It does. And I would like to say, how come I got a quote with a tongue twister name like Antoine's Antoine. and you got Benjamin Franklin, which I can say. 
That's okay. I'm doing a poem later that's really long and hard. So that's the balance. Uh, that's the balance. So vegetable topic, we're going to talk about, speaking of ugly bottoms of tomatoes, imperfection in the vegetable garden. And it is just part of the vegetable garden. It is just part of life. And you know what? If you can get used to imperfection, you're going to be a whole lot happier. And that, and that's one of the things that I I try to talk about when I'm talking about insects. So I was thinking about this because you had me watch this documentary, which I think we're going to talk about in another episode. But we can talk about it now or later. I don't care. But we'll talk th- about it several times, probably. It's called yeah. The Pollinators, and it's on Amazon Prime. Loved it. I loved it, too. It made me sad. In fact, it made me cry in one part. Um, but, it happy, but happy tears at the part where I kind of cried. Carol's giving me a look. Um, the reason it, So one of the things that they talked about is the apple and apple yes. trees and how much yes. they're sprayed. Which was a yes. nightmare. I knew how yes. I knew they were sprayed a lot because they're one of the dirty dozen. But I didn't realize that they spray them with seven and another insecticide to kill off the blooms, so they don't have to physically thin the trees. Exactly. Yes, that was a Yikes. bit of a surprise to me, and I still remember uh, a guy that owned an orchard talked to a garden club that I was in back in the nineties, and he said, "Hey, I wouldn't spray." If you would buy an imperfect apple, spraying costs me money, you know, and I have to take all these precautions, but you won't buy an imperfect apple. So I feel like I should buy imperfect apples. I think we should. Yeah. And I think being part of a CSA has taught me that some of the produce I get has holes in it even more than maybe mine does. And that's okay. It doesn't hurt anything. And I go on and eat it. So um, because I know myself and I know how much effort it took for someone to grow this for me. So I actually eat it. Whereas if I bought it at the store, I might not be as inclined to, but that's another day for another topic. So in your garden, don't expect your tomatoes to be pretty. They're pretty in, no. you know, early season, and then they start to look, about the time that they start to make fruit, they start to have problems, especially if we have a very rainy spring, which we did. So, yes. and you, often the first of my tomatoes, especially of the um, paste-type tomatoes, the first ones always have blossom in rot. Mm-hmm. It's not a disease, it's because of a lack of calcium uptake. Because I of a lot of water, because water, water fluctuations, which happen in spring because we get a lot of rain. So once it gets hot, they quit having that blossom end rot so bad. But I quit growing paste tomatoes because I don't like blossom end rot. And so I just use my other tomatoes for whatever. One more thing on tomatoes. So I have a lot of trouble with stink bugs on tomatoes. It's a big issue here. And I do have a lot of predators for stink bugs, but um, they still get to my tomatoes. So I start to pick my tomatoes when they are just barely ripe. And you're not. And every book, everything will tell you not to do that because they say it doesn't taste as good. I'll line my tomatoes up against any store tomato any day. They're still just as good. Right. And since I grow heirlooms, they're very thin-skinned. And those bugs will just wreak havoc on them. And the bug pressure gets worse as the season goes on. But do I spray, Carol? You do not. I do not. So I get a lot of questions. I I would say I had five last week of people going, oh, my gosh, there's this insect. What do I do about it? And I'm like, 
Grow more flowers. Grow more flowers. Grow more flowers. Grow more diversity. Welcome all kinds of insects because you want to create a balance out there. And so, you know, if you if you have a, a habitat that's good for, example, ladybugs, they'll often take care of the aphids for you. And um, and I was listening to another podcast, and they're talking about like an almost microscopic wasp, wasp? that will yeah. attack aphids. Aphids. Yeah. So yeah. And lace wings. And, and as soon as you see, I'll tell you what, if you grow milkweed in your garden, you're going to see a lot of insects. There's a lot of insects that are interested in milkweed, and there are insects that are a pain and insects that are, go after those pains. So I don't spray, and I don't spray for a lot, a lot of reasons. Um, and I'm not being preachy. I'm just saying a more diverse garden with simple flowers in amongst your other flowers will bring pollinators and other insects to your garden. And then there's a balance. And you know what else it brings? It brings birds. When Bill and I, I went out last night and I was walking around just kind of looking because it was only 65 degrees. It was fabulous. And just kind of looking at things, right? And I snipped off a few tomato leaves off the bottom, harvested a few tomatoes that were turning yellow, peachy colored. And then I heard a bluebird sing. Nothing like it. I stood there for a minute and I thought to myself, when Bill and I, fir- when I first married Bill, and Bill had already lived out here, most of this was mown Bermuda grass because he's a guy and he wasn't a gardener. But we put up bluebird houses of 33 years ago and we didn't get bluebirds for a long time. You know when we got bluebirds? When I started having more insects. Yeah, I have bluebird houses, and they are occupied, and I see bluebirds all the time. I see things like, uh, I see Cooper's hawks. I sent you a picture of one on a fence, and it's like, go after the voles, go after the voles. Yeah, and they do. And, oh, I forgot to tell you the most exciting thing. I saw a fox for the first time in my yard ever. It was a male fox. He was huge, I've seen fox here in the suburbs. I've seen it in my fenced in backyard and I thought how'd you get in here I've also seen fox scat which is nasty well I didn't go down and check his scat thank goodness so one of the things we wanted to talk about was accept imperfection grow flowers with your vegetables either grow them nearby and one of the things in that pollinator show was all of the farmers that are now doing what's called regenerative farming and that was when I got teary was all of those farmers, and they were showing how it actually works. And I know it works in my garden because I see it. But to have farmers start doing it, we've got to turn this around. Oh, my gosh, this sounds so preachy. Back to vegetables. All right, so the next thing we wanted to talk about was crop rotation, crop rotation, crop rotation. Right. So anything in the Solanaceae family, which is tomatoes and eggplant and peppers, Plant those in different locations every year where there wasn't a Solanaceae family. Same with your squash family. That would be squashes, cucumbers, pumpkins in different locations. Corn, heavy feeder. Plant that where maybe you had beans the year before. Plant beans where you had corn, etc. And so I will admit sometimes in my little garden with the six beds, sometimes I don't take good notes and I forget. And it's Me just, too. It's hard sometimes to like figure out exactly how to get that rotation to work, and I can't be on like a four-year cycle. It's almost impossible. But to the extent that I can, I can't do a four-year cycle. I can do a three-year. 
So next year, I might put my um, cut flower garden in the pots where the vegetable, where the tomatoes are, and plant the tomatoes in the cut flower garden. And so it's a great idea. Empty out the soil. You've got to do that because we're writing these articles for Family Handyman. And the truth is, prevention is worth a pound of cure for sure. And proper rotation is one of those things. And then you wrote about look for insect leaves on the underside of squash legs and look for hornworms. Okay, so the insects that we have the most trouble with here are squash bugs. By the time you see those eggs, you're already in trouble here. And the best way to grow squash in Oklahoma, if you don't want to spray it or put seven on it, which I know a lot of people use seven dust. I don't want to talk about that. Okay, so the best thing to do is grow it under cover. And then you'll have to hand pollinate or remove the cover long enough to let the pollinators in. Yeah, um, and here I have scraped the the little golden eggs off the underside of leaves. And so I do too. I, I'll go for a while and not have any squash bugs. I haven't had any uh, squash vine borers for forever. But I when either. I start to see all the squash bugs, usually the squash is pretty tired anyway. So I just pull it out and say, that's it. And then if I still have some yeah. bean seeds, maybe I'll throw some green beans in there. Just nothing else that'll fix the nitrogen. And then and they don't I, like beans. No. <laughs> and I like to be the predator and look for the hornworms before they cause too much damage. Because you can be so the, the predator. The fun, thing, the fun thing about hornworms is you can almost always tell when you've got hornworms. You'll see just some foliage gone. It looks like somebody's been eating it. <laughs> and then and somebody fresh. has. And somebody has, and they're green and big. So let's talk a little bit about that. That's a, a type of, um, oh, now I'm not going to be able to think of it. It's a type of moth. And there are two, there are two hornworms that go after um, tomatoes, tobacco hornworm and tomato hornworm, sphinx moth. Okay, so there's a bunch of sphinx moths in the world. And a lot of people, I hear it all the time, I see it on Instagram, they say that the sphinx moths that are the, Pretty ones are the tomato and tobacco hornworms. They are not. Look it up online. It's the ugly ones. I'm not saying that you should kill ugly things, but if they're eating your tomatoes, you're allowed to chop them in half. They got to go. Yeah, you can chop them in half, and if you don't want to kill them, put them on one cherry tomato plant that is a sacrificial lamb, and that's okay too. Whatever makes you happy, but don't spray them because, unfortunately, you kill other stuff, and you can spray them with BT. Bacillus, what, how do you say it? Bacillus thuringiensis. Bacillus thuringiensis. Yeah, you can spray them with BT, but remember, any overspray will hurt other caterpillars too. It's also a disease, so it just slows them down eating, and then they die. So it's more fun sometimes if you move them to another tomato plant, like a cherry tomato one, and then the wasps come in and lay eggs on them. That's fun too. Or throw them someplace where they're visible to birds and let them eat them. Yes, or your chickens. Find them and eat them. I'm telling you, I used to collect. I don't hornworms. have chickens. Oh my gosh, my chickens loved them. I don't have chickens now, so that's something else to think about. Um, toss your first tomatoes that have blossom end rot; they will never ripen. It just gets grosser and grosser. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about is if you have seeds that don't germinate, and I, I mean, I struggle with these green beans. 
Just try seeds from another source. Please don't be that person that goes out to social media to tell the world like, my beans from so-and-so and so-and-so, they didn't germinate. Well, how terrible is that? It's like, no, don't. Just, it could be you. Just privately write them. Yeah, write them yourself and say, hey, could be me. And I, I really do think it's because I just didn't water these bean seedlings enough, but I don't know. You never know. I mean, some tomato, some seeds, like tomato seeds, last forever. Other seeds don't last forever. They're, you know, they're a live thing. And that's why buying beans from Rancho Gordo is so good because they're so fresh. In fact, there have been all of this stuff online of people planting the beans from Rancho Gordo and growing their own, yeah. which is really fun too. All right. So I didn't do a quote for On the Bookshelf, Carol. I was just looking and saying, oh my goodness, Dee did not do a quote for On the Bookshelf. I will give you a quote. Oh, good. I'm glad she's going to get us one. When it comes to pruning citrus, you can count on the three Ds to get you most of the way there. Citrus is fairly forgiving if you stick to removing branches that are dead, diseased, and disorderly. And I thought, wow, that's really good advice for all kinds of... All plants. All plants. (laughs) The three Ds. Mm -hmm. Dead, diseased, or disorderly. And that is from the bookshelf. Wow. Wow. Uh, the book is Grow Your Own Mini Fruit Garden, Planting and Tending Small Fruit Trees and Berries in Gardens and Containers by our friend Christy Wilhelmy, who is in Los Angeles, California. But this is really a book for any climate. It doesn't matter. And what's really nice about it is not all of us have all the acreage like you have, Dee. So many. F- oh, really? Oh, yeah, really. Some of us have small suburban lawns. And so. Growing many fruit, you're not going to get that big harvest necessarily to be able to preserve like bushels and bushels of things, but you can grow some of your own fruit and it tastes so good. And so that is what this book is all about. And she covers in the ground planting, she covers containers, she covers everything, you know, apples, cherries, also stuff that I can never grow like olives and pomegranates and most citrus fruit, though I I can grow lemon Myers, Meyer lemons, I mean Meyer lemons in containers when if I brought them inside. I grow all mine in containers. All of my citrus is in containers. Yes, you brought you grow but you take it inside into your greenhouse. I do. Yes. Or you have to bring it inside your house, one of the two. Anyway, this is this is uh, a very good book if you are thinking I should be a fruit grower. I recommend you get grow your own mini fruit garden. She covers everything, how to plant, how to manage pests and diseases naturally, which is top top of our mind, uh, the best sites for different fruit trees, varieties with increased disease resistance, also very important because some, like apples, they can just be riddled with disease. Uh, pruning yes. for super compaction, not compaction, to keep them super compact. Feeding and watering mm-hmm. and then unique techniques for multiple fruits together in a compact area. So that is the book. I'm going to show you a picture of it, Dee. Grow your own mini fruit garden. Yeah, because I didn't get it. So I didn't get it. Go ahead and repeat the name again. I walked over you. That's okay. Grow your own mini fruit garden, planting and tending small fruit trees and berries and gardens and containers by Christy Wilhelmy. And we'll leave links to that. And this is the book, Dee, to get you going on fruit growing. I'm cool. I wish I had had it 30 years ago. Well, I'm going to loan it to my youngest sister who has this half barrel that her son-in-law gave them. And she's wanting to grow 
mini fruit tree of some kind in there. And I said, you, you won't, you know, you won't go to the garden center and find these. A lot of times you have to go to specialty nurseries online and places like that. But I'll give mm-hmm. her this and say, read this. Stop asking me questions. <laughs> <laughs> I kid. So that's our bookshelf. And now we're going to talk about our dirt. And we have two pieces of dirt we did. today. I'll talk about the first one and you could talk about the second one. Okay. Um, we are, we have fallen in love with Piper and Ivy gardening t-shirts. And so I own three of them now. I have plant. I have one, but I'm getting ready to buy another one. So I have Plant Whisperer and I'm wearing Life is Short by the Plants. And then I have one with about reading actually more than gardening about a book is a wonderful place to fall into. And it shows a book with all these flowers coming out of it. I have a friend who has one that says it's not hoarding if it's plants. Uh-huh. These are so and fun. And then there's one that's, they're just cute. I like the one that has, that says bought any plants lately, but it's botany, botany, bought any plants lately. I mean, there's, they're clever and they're cute. Yes. And they're great shirts <laughs> and they actually wear really well. They so do. if you're going to wear a t-shirt in the garden or like every time the kids come over and for I'm, dinner, I'm telling I'm you, I would jeans. never wear one of my good Piper and Ivy gardening shirts out there and get it all messed <laughs> up. These are my good t-shirts. Okay. They're her good t-shirts. Anyway, we just Life wanted to share. Short by we, the plant. We, that's my, that's my go to the garden center shirt. Oh my goodness. Retirement has. <laughs> <laughs> So Piper and Ivy gardening t-shirts, we don't get anything for telling you guys about them, but we thought they were fun. Now on to frosted elfins. Doesn't that just make you smile? I am so happy to live in a world where there are frosted elfins. I had never heard of them before, but you sent this really cool link to an article about them. Yes, it's a link to uh, Channel 4's news, and it turns out that I didn't know this, and I'm really good. We're really good friends with one of the guys at OG&E, but OG&E has planted all of these pollinator habitats um, out in their various areas, and this one is in the wild. Let's see, where is it? It's the oh, so it's part of the Oklahoma Frosted Elfin Project. So Oklahoma Gas and Electric plants these wonderful places that have pollinator habitats for various butterflies and insects. And so now someone was driving by and saw that at one of them, they had yellow wild indigo, which I actually grow. Um, and they realized that the that this butterfly was on top of the yellow indigo. Wow. And it's a frosted elfin, frosted elfin butterfly. And so they noticed that the caterpillars were on there and they're protected and they're very, very rare. And so we're going to link to that news article. You should go and see what a frosted elfin looks like. Yes, because to live in a world with frosted elfins, I am very delighted. Me too. So you ready for the next quote? It, it's a poem and I shall sit back and relax while you read it because you put it in there. I know. God help me. It's called Being But Men by Dylan Thomas. Being but men, we walked into the trees, afraid, letting our syllables be soft for fear of waking the rooks, for fear of coming noiselessly into a world of wings and cries. If we were children, we might climb, catch the rooks sleeping, and break no twig. And after the soft ascent, thrust out our heads above the branches to wonder at the unfailing stars. Out of confusion as the way is, and the wonder that man knows, 
Out of the chaos would come bliss. That then is loveliness, we said. Children in wonder watching the stars is the aim and the end. Being but men, we walked into the trees. So, the reason I shared that was because my rabbit hole is that I ended up in a rabbit hole about trees and nature poetry, including the dandelion. And it was because of the marginalian. I don't even know how you say that. Marginalian. The marginalian used to be called something else. And it's a, a deal brain that you get in your email. Yes, brain pickings. I guess they decided marginalian sounded better than brain pickings. <laughs> um, it's always very, very interesting. And so I ended up reading all this poetry. And there was a whole thing that what got me started was this whole thing on uh, G.K. Chesterton, who's one of the most famous Catholic writers. He started out an atheist and eventually converted. And then he became a, Catholic, a very good Catholic apologist. And he wrote the Father Brown Mysteries, among other things. But he also wrote some nature poetry, including some stuff about a dandelion. And then, because I went to that little connection and read about that, then I ended up looking up Roar Like a Dandelion by Ruth Krauss. It's a children's book. So that was my rabbit hole as I went down into nature poetry. And I just loved the fact that this particular one, which we're going to link to, this particular episode or piece or newsletter, um, was because Chesterton started out as a pessimist and an atheist, and he eventually became an optimist and a believer. And so I work every day to look on the bright side of things, and it's easy to be negative unless you look at nature. And so it was about a rabbit hole of wonder. That sounds really nice. You sent me down my rabbit hole, Dee. I did? You held up a book, yes, you held up a book last week about wildflowers for children that was written by an author named Irma Wild. And so I normally don't look up these people until I have the books in hand, but I went looking for Irma Wild, mm -hmm. and she is a hard one to find on the internet. Really? And, well... I kind of went down this one path, and I thought I'd found her pretty easily. And then something made me think, well, maybe that's not her. But then how many Irma Wilds married to George A. Wilde could there possibly be in the world? So maybe I found her. I think and you so found her. I thought, I need, I need to back up, and I need to start fresh, and then, you know, go down. There's a secret door I haven't discovered yet, no doubt. And I will open it, and there will be Irma Wilde. Mostly a children's author, but she did write that one book on wildflowers. So she may qualify as the lost lady of garden writing. I don't have a blog post about her. I spent way too much time looking for her, and I, I now I got to repeat and find her again. That did was you, my rabbit hole. But did you buy the book? Because it had violets in it, two kinds of violets. No, I didn't buy that book yet. I'm still trying to figure it all out. <laughs> I bought that book at a you know, like an antique store years ago, and it sits on my bookshelf in here. In fact, I can see it. I, I leaned over so you can see it behind my yeah. head. It's over there on that. It's a shelf in yeah. my kitchen. It's a great book. Yeah. I'll have to, you know, first of all, I will verify that it isn't on my shelf by accident and that I just don't realize it because I do have some books in the other room. And it's like, oh, I forgot I had that. And I will probably, in my wanderings through, she wrote, dozens of children's books and none of the titles come to mind at the moment but if i were to link to them i'm sure many of our 
older listeners might recommend re- remember some of these. And she did a lot of the illustrations herself, mm-hmm. and sometimes her husband illustrated them. Wow. But that's She's enough. interesting. She is, because she doesn't have... But there's not like a page that says, oh, Irma Wilde, famous children's author, here's her history. Nothing like that. I mean, I think you've got a book coming. What, Lost Ladies of Garden Writing? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Because Perhaps. I think it's sad that some of these people have been lost, and it shouldn't be that way. Because they've written yeah. some great information and beautiful illustrations and... It's yeah. just too bad. Nothing yeah. keeps you alive forever, does it? Do you want to talk about garden Nothing. commissions? My garden commission, I call it the week of W's. I'm going to be weeding, watering, waiting on tomatoes and squash to ripen. I'm going to be wondering when we're going to get some decent rain and if my green beans are going to rebound. And so like a W, the week is sure to have some peaks and valleys. Think about the letter W. <laughs> and uh, I'll be wandering around, you know, looking at stuff so that is my garden commission the week at w okay so you put a lot of thought into your garden commission and under d it says blank no um okay i know exactly what i'm doing though today i've got a little bit of help so i'm gonna work in the lower garden over by where uh this that red japanese maple i have is because that bed is out of control um i don't know you know how you just have one bed that is truly out of control. I went down there and looked at I, it, and I thought that. I thing don't know looks... what you're talking about, D. I, I everything in my garden is completely under control. I looked at it and I everything thought, everything oh, in my garden. <laughs> you look a snaky, snaky mess. You do. We got to fix that. So I'm going to go in there today and you know trim up a bunch of stuff and fix my deer villa. Good grief! There's a lot of mess in there. For one thing, there's two very aggressive asters in that bed and they have tried to take over and I got to pull a bunch of them up and all that. So I'm going to garden today, which I'm really excited about. And the first thing I'm going to do as soon as we get off here is go out and deadhead my daylilies while it's still cloudy and nice. Deadhead daylilies daily. (laughs) Exactly. They look better. They just do. And they open better. There you go. Well, that's it for this week. We want to thank you for listening to The Garden Angelus. I hope you've hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. We publish every week on Wednesdays at 12 a.m. Eastern Time. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review that helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share your podcast, share our podcast with your gardening friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. And be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And subscribe to our new Substack newsletter, the Garden Angelus at Substack.com, also linked to in our show notes. And if you want to help support us, use those affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we're in a small commission and it costs you nothing. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the garden gate until... The Garden Gate today. Bye until next week. I can't read. Goodbye, everybody.